A special dedication to those who listen to this program from across the nation. From the heart and soul of Wendell Wallace, you have my greatest respect and admiration. Wendell's World in Sports is a podcast like no other, made for the listening pleasure for my sisters and brothers. My passion for the sports happenings of the world today overflowing, my skills and talent will always be showing. A king like Bernard, my podcast will be held in his highest regard, hoping my listening base will be reached from near and afar. My episodes in this greatness are like that of Tom Brady's. My podcast is great for all the fellas and ladies. You say my podcast isn't the best? Man, you must be crazy. Holding up the Champions Cup like the Tampa Bay Lightning hold up the Cup of Stanley, sacking the competition more times than Dexter Manley, I will deal with the fools and haters quite handedly and quite candidly. I'm that damn good. So please, stay in your lane. What I'm doing, you can't be a partaker. If you even think about missing with my show, in the words of The Undertaker, you will rest in peace. Wendell's World in Sports, download, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyway, anyhow, you listen or watch your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, groin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Today in Las Vegas, it was 55 degrees, 60 degrees. It was raining all day. It was cloudy. The sun was not in sight. It was windy. It was absolutely, positively, undeniably perfect weather for yours truly, Wendell Wallace here. So I'm going to be taking that energy. I'm going to be taking that that enthusiasm I have, I'm going to be taking everything that I have in terms of good vibe for today on this Tuesday afternoon and go ahead and talk about what is happening in the NFL. Go ahead and what's talking about in college football here on Wendell's World in Sports. So doggone glad that you could be with us. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode. If you like what you are listening to and you are listening anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, do me a favor if you would please. If you could just go ahead and like If you could go ahead and subscribe, if you could go ahead and follow, rate, review, as always, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast. I was sure much appreciated. And don't forget about my YouTube channel, Wendell's World of Sports, where I speak about what's happening in the NBA, when I speak about what's happening with my Georgetown Hoyas. Just been watching a little bit of the game against Coppin State. Have been turned away. I'm recording the game, so I'll be watching it after I finish this podcast because the way Georgetown's playing right now, I would not have the enthusiasm. I would not have the good vibe. You would be filled with anger and hostility talk when it comes to me speaking about the NFL and the NBA or the NFL and college football because I would be heated by watching Georgetown. They look terrible. They look horrible. They look atrocious. They look like I'm going to be speaking about the Georgetown Hoyas when I do my YouTube uh, podcast with a frown on my face in anger and venom coming from my lips. So there you go. But if you want to listen to me do that type of stuff, if you want to uh, 
go ahead and listen to me talk about Georgetown and talk about the NBA and have me talk about Kyrie Irving and all those things. YouTube, my YouTube page, Wendell's World of Sports, would very much appreciate it. If you like what you're listening to, ladies between the ages of 42 and 49, if you like what you are watching, then yes, of course, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, like the video, comment, do all those good things. Wendell's World in Sports. I am your host, Wendell Wallace, speaking about what is going on in the NFL. Very quickly, I want to go ahead and I want to sing this song. I know I should be getting into week nine of the NFL. I, I know I should be speaking about the New York Jets victory over the Buffalo Bills. I knew I should be speaking about the best player in the game as of right now, Patrick Mahomes, and the performance that he had on Sunday night against the Tennessee Titans. Yes, I I understand I should be speaking about all those things, but in this first segment, a very rare Wendell's World in episode segment, or or, or, uh, episode where I'm going to be having not just two segments, but three segments. And I'm going to very quickly have the first episode uh, be dealing with something that's been dear to my heart, a lifelong fan, and some news came down last week, which made me happy, which made me giddy, which made me just so overjoyed. It was just, the only thing I could say was, to dream the impossible dream that finally could become a reality. In March, our prayers will be answered. Because Daniel Snyder will be selling the team. He won't be the owner of the Washington Commanders. We're free. Oh, we're free. We'll be free. Thank God we're free. Free at last. Free at last. On March 10th or whenever he sells that team. Thank God Almighty. We will be free at last. From... Daniel Snyder selling the entire franchise, not just the portion, he's selling the entire franchise. Sale could be for $7 billion, could get done within six months. Sell it, sell it. Snyder hired Bank of America Securities to explore the sale of the commanders. Now, Jay uh, Glazer on Sunday reported that Snyder is indeed planning on selling the entire franchise, not just selling a minor- minority stake to raise funds for debt and a new stadium. He is selling the team. He is selling the team. He is selling the team. Do you understand what I'm saying? Daniel Snyder is selling the team. This is not an act. This is not a joke. The emotions that are coming from my voice right now. And for those who are under the age of 35, or those under the age of 30, you should be elated. You should be dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas. You should be dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie. You should be dancing up and down the streets. You should be dancing in Northwest D.C. You should be dancing in Montgomery County. You should be dancing in Falls Church. You should be dancing in uh, McLean, Virginia. You should be dancing in, in the Silver Spring, Maryland. You should be dancing all over the place. You should be dancing all over town. And yes, things could happen. Things could change. But I don't care, man. Snyder is in this too deep for that reality to happen. It's coming true. Our dreams are coming true. Our dreams are coming reality. Daniel Snyder is going to be selling the Washington Commanders. Hey, man, this emotion. I'm, I'm not bullshitting you, man. This emotion is no joke. 
And for a certain, for my generation, where you've been living, where you grew up, in terms of the era where you grew up and became a Washington football fan, this, this, this emotion is genuine. This news and the happiness and the joy and the elation, this is not a joke, man. This is not an act. I've been saving this up for so long in terms of what, when I found out, when I had the notion that Daniel Snyder had no intention of selling the team. This was a little while ago when he was going through all that rigmarole with the um, nonsense and with the uh, serious allegations uh, going on about workplace conduct and everything, and you know the light being shown on him for truly being a piece of garbage of a human being that he is. And there was just talk about you know will he sell the team? Can he sell the team? And somehow, some way, he tried to uh, maneuver. To where he would be the majority owner by far and that way he would never sell the team or he would never be forced out as the owner of the team and I said to myself my goodness gracious man as a 53 year old man you're talking about a situation where this could be a life without parole situation in terms of Daniel Snyder being the owner of the Washington Commanders at the time the Washington football team this is set in stone that I'm going to be in this prison I'm going to be in this hellhole known as being a fan of the Washington franchise with Daniel Snyder as its owner forever as I live on this earth. That was the scenario. That was the reality that we were looking at a little bit over a year ago. And now to see what's happening right now, to dream the impossible dream. Daniel Snyder is selling the team. Is no longer, is no longer a hopeless, real hopeless endeavor. Thank goodness gracious. Asking price could be seven billion. And I saw some stuff from the post speaking about, well, Daniel Snyder is going to win when everything is all said and done because. He bought the um, franchise, him and his ownership group brought the franchise for uh, $880 million and now $7 billion and he's going to be the one laughing, this, that, and the other. Let me tell you something, Daniel Snyder could get the money from the sale of the Washington Commanders, he could get what we owe China and I wouldn't care. Daniel Snyder isn't winning in this. Yeah, Daniel Snyder's going to get $7 billion. Daniel Snyder is already a billionaire. Man, when you're worth as much as... Daniel Snyder now for his great 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 grandkids is going to be awesome. Or you know, the, 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 you know, if, if this world is still around in the twenty second or the twenty third century or whatever, I mean, yeah, his kinfolks from way way in the future are going to be are going to be ecstatic and happy and all this kind of stuff. But Daniel Snyder himself, Daniel Snyder didn't win. Daniel Snyder is not selling the team because doggone it, he wants to get another seven billion dollars. What's what? When we speak about this, and I've never been a billionaire, but I, I heard this before from other billionaires, man. When you reach that plateau, it's all about stature, man. It's all about what you got. What are you holding? What do you have? I mean, what's the difference between three billion and six billion? I know three billion, but the, the point is. You ain't going to spend all that money if it's truly about Daniel Snyder winning. Daniel Snyder, I can't believe this. Daniel Snyder has now made this windfall and he's going to be having all of this money and great. Who cares? 
Daniel Snyder wanted that football team, man. If Daniel Snyder was so much about give me the money, give me the money, give me the money, he would have sold that bad boy a long time ago. From a Daniel Snyder who grew up in the same generation and the same era that I did with the Washington football team falling in love with the football team, which made him want to buy the football team and be so dogmatic in terms of never letting go of this football team. This is his baby. This is his heart and soul. This is his everything when it comes to being the owner of the Washington Commanders. This was his dream. This was his ultimate dream, man. This was him winning Powerball, and now he has to give that up. Now he's no longer an owner of a football franchise. Now he's no longer the owner of the Washington Commanders. Now that dream, now that story is gone. Now Daniel Snyder, what is he now? He's just another billionaire, which is, I mean, between, when you speak it, between us, when we're speaking about it, like, like you know, me and you and, uh, you know, your homeboys and your homegirls who are watching this and listening to this or listening to this, yeah, I mean, being a billionaire would be nice, it would be fantastic, it would be awesome, but for someone like a Daniel Snyder, it's just like a Jerry Jones or just like any one of these NFL owners, man, it's, it's not about the money. If it, was a, if it was about the money, Jerry Jones would have sold the Cowboys a long time ago, right? I mean, if it was about the money, the Johnson family who owns the New York Jets would have sold that franchise a long time ago, right? If it was nothing about the, um, if, if it was all about the money, all of these owners got loot. All of these owners have bank. All of these owners, or most of these owners, are billionaires. But what is it about them? It's kind of like, I'm the man, I'm cool, I'm this, that, and the other. They have themselves that piece of property, man. They have themselves that ownership of an NFL franchise. One of 32. And those stakes are even higher. And we, we speak about dreaming the impossible dream of a young kid growing up because he wants to be a an NFL football player or he wants to be an NBA basketball player or he wants to be a football player. He wants to be the next LeBron. He wants to be the next Patrick Mahomes. He wants to be the next Tom Brady. He wants to be the next Mike Trout. He wants to be the next Lionel Messi. He wants to be one of those guys, right? The chances of a young person or a, the chances of, of a youngster becoming a professional football, baseball, basketball, hockey player, the chances are greater than someone growing up to own an NFL football team. Because there's X amount of jobs, more jobs and more opportunities for someone to become a football player, to make a football team or to make a basketball team than it is to become an NFL owner or an NBA owner or an NHL owner. So for Daniel Snyder to give that up, it ain't about him winning because he makes a boatload of money from the sale. He lost. He lost. And he lost. And I'm glad he lost. I'm, I'm happy that he's lost, that he lost this. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. NFL spokesperson Brian McCarthy said in a statement on Wednesday, any potential transaction would have to be presented to the NFL Finance Committee for review and require an affirmative vote by three quarters of full of the full membership, which is 24 of the 32 team owners, and said each one of those guys cannot stand Daniel Snyder because Daniel Snyder is staying is in the is the obstacle that's staying in the road path of the Commanders getting themselves a new stadium, whether it be near Dulles in uh, Virginia or whether it be 
you know, doing something downtown or doing something in Maryland, whatever. I mean, the owners now, because of Snyder, are losing out on that money. And the embarrassment that he brought to the league itself, they want him gone. Jim Irsay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, was speaking about a little while ago about, you know what, we're, we're, we're doing what we can to get Snyder out of there. And it's absolutely fantastic. And, and, and don't forget... The Congress is continuing to investigate Dan Snyder for workplace culture created during his ownership, a, a, a culture of, of uh, cancer, a cancerous culture. Now, the NFL, led by attorney Mary Jo White, is also investigating Snyder for a second time stemming from an allegation of sexual misconduct. Daniel Snyder, get the fuck out. Daniel Snyder, get out. Daniel Snyder, leave. Take your $7 billion, take your $70 billion, take your... Eight trillion, quadrillion, I don't give a fuck, and get the fuck out. First investigation resulted in a $10 million fine for the organization. If you remember that Snyder um, was accused of, uh, you know, basically running a organization where it was misogynistic, where it was uh, pretty, you know, lowbrow and just not a good workplace for, for women. So, so get out. So get out. It's absolutely fantastic. It's absolutely wonderful. It's just it's just something where it's kind of like, woohoo, it feels so good that Daniel Snyder could be as early as March is no longer the owner of the Washington franchise, the Washington football franchise, the most treasured franchise, one of the most treasured entities. When you speak about the DMV, the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, we no longer have the albatross. We no longer have the cancer. We no longer have that clown. We no longer have that piece of shit. We no longer have that no-character loser in terms of being a human being, Daniel Snyder, as our owner. And it feels, it sounds, and it's going to look and taste and smell Oh, so damn good. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, Snyder selling the team. Of course, the next thing that comes up is if he is truly selling the team, which we now know is a pretty good, excellent chance that that's going to happen. And it's not going to be happening 20 years from now. It's not going to be happening 10 years from now. It's going to be possibly as early as six months from now. Who is going to be the next owner of the um, Washington franchise. Now, John uh, Kime of ESPN has been told that Amazon CEO Jeff uh, Bezos has interest in the team. And multiple reports also say that Jay-Z, the Jigga Man, might partner with Bezos in terms of uh, bidding on the franchise. Uh, Matt Ishbot, I-S-H-B-I-A, finalist for the Denver Broncos ownership bid a few years ago, released a statement that he's interested in uh, owning the Washington Commanders. Byron Allen, who also made a bid on the Broncos when they came for sale, is also said to be interested. I, I would love, and I think it's time. Now, <clears throat> you know these owners are not going to um, you know, have any type of moral um, bone in their body when it comes to this because it's all about money. It's all about a situation where they can make as much money as possible. And of course, in most of these in most of these deals where a team is sold, unless that person is really, 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 really a horrible, terrible human being, the ownership goes to the person who has the most uh, money, the most capital, the most to buy the football team. And if the 
um, Snyder is holding out for $7 billion. And a few years ago, um, the appraisal of the commanders was somewhere around $5.5 billion. I mean, when we start getting into maybe a bidding war, I mean, could we be reaching somewhere as high as 8 million, maybe 9 million? If someone wants a, <clears throat> a team, uh, um, you know, desperate enough when you speak about the Washington commanders, despite uh, the ownership group of Snyder or the ownership led by Daniel Snyder running that franchise into the ground. When you think about the history, when you think about what the Washington commanders, the football team, the professional football team means to the Washington DC metropolitan area. Yeah, man, there could be a situation where $7 billion is a whole lot of uh, loot, $7 billion to buy that team or to become owner, owner, of that team, it could be something else, but man, the, 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 the franchise itself and the connectivity that the franchise has with the owner, owner, with the, um, community, not just the, the, not just Washington DC, not just in Southeast or Northwest or Northeast or that, that part, not, not, not just in that area, but we're also speaking about the, 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 um, we're also speaking about Northern Virginia. We're also speaking about going down to Richmond. We're also speaking about going out to Roanoke. You're also speaking about going up to Anne Arundel. You're also speaking about Montgomery County, Prince George's County, where they have money, where we're speaking about in the nation, <coughs> in the nation's capital of this country. <clears throat> it is a valuable piece of property. It's a valuable asset to have. And of course, the history of the franchise itself, even though checkered because the first owner was a racist piece of shit who I hope and pray is burning in hell through eternity, which was George Preston Marshall and the uh, Washington football team uh, was one of the last teams, if not the last team in the NFL to integrate when they traded for uh, Bobby Mitchell, despite the staunch, um, defense of Preston Marshall that there would never be a black player. His famous quote was, when the Harlem Globetrotters uh, get a white guy, we'll go ahead and we'll get ourselves a black guy. Rotten hell, you piece of shit. And, you know, of course, Washington having the nickname Redskins for as long as they did. Yeah, it's not squeaky clean, but you're speaking again about one of the oldest and most historic franchises that there are. And again, I can see why the asking price for this team is so high. So you have Bezos, you have uh, Byron Allen. Because of Allen, that's the name that intrigues me the most. He's the founder and CEO of Entertainment Studios. He owns the Weather Channel among the among other media holdings. He's a black man, started off as a, a comedian. And I think when you take a look at the NFL, when you take a look at the structure of the NFL outside of the uh, players, when you take a look at the coaches, when you take a look at the GMs, when you take a look at the presidents, and you take a look at the owners and the ownership, there is a dearth in terms of uh, having some type of minority uh, in any of those positions. So the NFL, and I, and I realize with the whole Colin Kaepernick situation that uh, for the most part, you know, uh, trying to uh, placate um, those in terms of looking for fair equality and those type of things. If you take a look at the history of uh, coaching, their coaching hires, when you take a look at the history of what they did with Kaepernick and others, that, uh, yeah, you know, and, and, and the way that uh, we as a community and as a nation, as a society, really kind of brushed that off because, you know, because the NFL was being discriminatory, 
or the NFL was showing some hints of racism, they're not going to get in the way of enjoying football every Sunday. They're not going to get in the way, that's not going to get in the way of them placing bets and parlays and those type of things. Me included. Me included. I'm right there. I'm right there. I'm just as guilty as you are and you are and you are. So I am contributing to the NFL in terms of basically allowing them to do what they want to do and deny the equal opportunities for black folks when it comes to, and women and other folks of color and other minorities when it comes to these positions. I play a big role in that also because I'm watching the NFL every week, every Sunday. I'm talking about it on my podcast. I love the NFL almost as much as I do the NBA, even though I love the NBA more. So I contribute to, uh, I contribute to this disease in terms of giving highly qualified minorities opportunities. So, you know, I think in a situation where Byron Allen is uh, looking to uh, get into the ownership deal, I think that the league should definitely take a look at that. Now, um, one of the things is that that could stop that is Allen's net, net worth. Relatively meager by NFL ownership standards, of course. He's only worth $800 million, that poor guy. I wonder how he gets by. Living paycheck to paycheck, huh? Only $800 million. So any purchase that he would uh, have of the uh, Washington football team would rely heavily upon pulling his several partners of similar financial heft to, you know, get to that $7 billion asking price. And if you're someone like a Jeff Bezos or, excuse me, like a, yeah, like a Bezos and a Jay-Z, you know, how's that situation going to pull out? How about this before I um, go to my first boogie break? Kevin Durant also said he would be interested in becoming a partner of a group looking to buy the commanders. Now, he would be a very small, my, he would be a very small owner of the team when, when you're speaking about it, even though Kevin Durant is is loaded with his brand and his salary and other things which contribute to his overall financial wealth. But, I mean, when you're speaking about, when you're, when you're speaking about ownership, when you're speaking about that level, yeah, man. I mean, the only person who could maybe come close in the NBA would be LeBron James. And I think LeBron is either he, either he's worth a billion or he's nearly worth a billion or in a couple of years he's going to be worth a billion or some nonsense like that. But, uh, you know, he, he's he's close. But Kevin Durant, even though he makes a good amount of change, he would be a very small owner of the uh, percentage owner of the team. Sort of like what Magic Johnson was when he invested in the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. So, you know, I'm just happy though, man. I'm happy. I'm ecstatic. I'm thrilled. I'm just tickled pink. All of those things you want to talk about in terms of a positive reaction that Daniel Snyder will no longer in the near future. When I say the near future in the less than a year, the last season that the Washington commanders have to be under the stewardship, the ownership of Daniel Snyder. It makes me happy. It makes me happy. It makes me happy, 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 happy. In the words of Brian Kelly, when I heard that Washington and Daniel Snyder, the Washington commanders and Daniel Snyder were going to be parting ways in terms of him being the owner, all I can say in the words of Brian Kelly, The hell yes. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Let's get on down.
Oh, Daniel Snyder selling the Washington Commanders. My Washington Commanders. Oh, happy day. Welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I hope that you are enjoying the podcast. When I come back, I'm going to be speaking about week nine of the NFL season and the podcast by speaking about the most exciting weekend in college football since week seven. Speak about those type of things. If you want to hear me speak about and talk about and get my opinions about the NBA, the love of my life, my Halle Berry, my Layla Rochon, my Monica Bellucci, my Selma Hayek, go over to my YouTube channel, Wendell's World and Sports. Check that out as I speak about what's going on, the happenings in the NBA. Speak about my Georgetown Hoyas, all of those good things. So let's continue to boogie. Let's continue to enjoy some earth, wind, and fire. And soon we'll get back to what going on in the world of sports here on Wendell's World in Sports. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us recording this on a Tuesday evening. Last time I checked, Georgetown was... uh, was trailing by either four or five to Coppin State. Again, I'm not watching because I want to be in the right frame of mind when I'm doing this podcast. I don't want to be sounding sounding angry. Is that a word, angry? I don't want to be sounding angry or anything like that. So I'm keeping a smile on my face. The glass is half full. Everything is cool. I got the Lord on my side. But of course, when this is over and I check the score, if uh, I don't do a podcast on... Thursday, I'm going to publish this on either Thursday or Friday in terms of my YouTube episode talking about the NBA and Georgetown. If you don't hear anything by Friday, that means that I have been thrown in jail because I went on a murderous rampage after after finding out that Georgetown lost to Coppin State. I'm going to do something angry. I'm going to do something violent. An inanimate object is going to be in some serious, serious Serious trouble, because fury and furor will be the least of my emotions if I find out that Georgetown loses to me at Coppin State with um, Juan Dixon, who's six season, what is he, like 40 and 384? 100 games that Georgetown has played against historically black colleges and universities. They're 100 and 0. If they lose at home, season opener against Coppin State, Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your, I'm not going to be happy. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, man, let's go ahead and get back to some football. I talked about, talked about Daniel Snyder giving away the, selling the team in the near future. When I name, when I mean near future, I'm talking about less than a year. Happy day with that one. So here we go, man. We got the NFL season week nine. What does it mean? in terms of the entire sum of the NFL season, right? Because every time, I've got to reiterate this every single time, we talk about the NFL, we talk about it as a story, right? We talk about it as a continuation of a story, where we have a beginning, where we have a middle, where we have an end. We have the plot, we have the drama, we have all those things that make up a great novel, that make up a great movie, that make up a great program, right? That's the NFL, so now we're coming into the week of November, week nine. We are officially past the halfway point of the NFL season. So when you speak about the month of November and you speak about weeks 
9, 10, and 11, and 12. What does that mean? What does that entail? What should we be looking for? What should we be um, asking ourselves about our teams, good or bad, moving forward? Because remember I spoke about, remember when I told you the first month of, of the NFL season, when I talked about September, and I talked about that just being a joyous occasion to celebrate the return of the game of football. So regardless of how a team is doing, regardless if they start off the season poorly or fantastically, don't worry about it because a lot of things can change. Just enjoy the game. Just enjoy the fall season and now the routine of watching football every Sunday. Man, get down with that. Be joyous with that. Dance with that. Do the James Brown with that. Do the kid and play with that. Do all those things, right? October comes around. Still start enjoying the season, man. Still continue with that mindset. Just that neither. Now we're in week nine. Now we're starting November. Now we're getting into a situation where we have November, we've got December, and then the season is going to end. And just like the first two months of the season, can I ask you, right? How quickly did it go, right? How quickly did the first week of the season up until now go? Wasn't it fast? And I'm quite sure there were probably some weeks during this uh, weekends or some Sundays that uh, you probably missed a weekend or two in terms of watching football from morning to noon to night, correct? I mean, you didn't stay there for the 1 o'clock game. If you're watching football on the East Coast, I'm quite sure for 9 straight weeks or 8 straight weeks, you weren't watching football with the 1 o'clock game, then the 4 o'clock game, and then the 8 o'clock game, and then the Monday night football game. Or if you're on my side of the country here in the racist, selfish, ignorant states of America, I'm quite sure that every single week, every single Sunday that you did not watch the 10 a.m. game, which then bled into the 1 o'clock game, and then, of course, the 5 o'clock Sunday night football game, correct? There might have been a week or two that you didn't go with that routine, and that's fine. That's cool. That's wonderful, right? Because you knew, hey, man, in week six, nothing cataclysmic is going to happen, which is going to have a huge impact on the entire season, right? This isn't week 16. This is not week 17. This is not Christmas weekend in terms of the NFL is concerned, right? There's a lot of time. There's a lot of things that's going to be happening between week 5 or week 3 or week 7 till the end of the season, which is going to be much more impactful than what's happening to which week I'm going to be missing early in the season, correct? So, hey, you missed this, that, and the other. My point is, man, did this bad boy go by fast. Man! is the NFL season flying by. Now in week one, this is the start of the push. This is the time now where we're speaking about, okay, now we're going to start to clarify some expectations for the rest of the season and moving forward in seasons to come, right? So what do we need to get clarified? Are teams like the New York Jets and the New York Giants for real? Is Minnesota for real? Is it, it's Seattle for real? Are there real contenders to do what Cincinnati did uh, last a season or the San Francisco 49ers did a few seasons ago, which was to go from worst to first, from the bottom dwellers to conference champions and Super Bowl participants? Is that team going to be the New York Jets, a team that finished, what, 4-13 and last year? How much should we now get into the fact that they beat Buffalo when they beat Buffalo in the season? This is not a situation where I told people to calm down and be patient and don't be getting too high or too low after week three when the Miami Dolphins beat the Buffalo Bills. It was like, oh my goodness, Miami 3-0, blah, 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 blah. I can't believe there's 200. Calm down, man. It's only week three. 
how much now, how much stock should we now put into, damn, the New York Jets just beat the Buffalo Bills? The 4-13 stinking New York Jets with Zach Wilson at their quarterback beat the Buffalo Bills, not in week one, not in week five, but the first week of November? What's up with that? What's going on with that? What's happening with that? So we need to start to clarify these things. Again, the Jets were the biggest win of the season in the Robert Sala era by beating the uh, Buffalo Bills 2017. I know my man Curdy B is up there in Temecula, still on cloud nine about the New York Jets. We're down 14-3, to came back to win the game. The defense shut down Josh Allen. Zach Wilson threw a touchdown pass to uh, Greg, and Greg Zerline kicked a go-ahead 28-yard field goal with a minute 43 remaining. And then the um, defense took over. Slapped the ball away, knocked the ball away from uh, Josh Allen. That uh, play at the end of the game, near the end of the game, uh, might have uh, it might it might have been a turning point for the Buffalo Bills because now you know Allen had an MRI on that elbow, and you know how much is that going to uh, play into the, the uh, Bills and what they're going to be doing down the stretch and heading into the playoffs. So I mean, it was a big game. It was a monumental game. It was an important game for the New York Jets. Zach Wilson, 18 of 25, 154 yards, a touchdown, set a career high for a percentage, completion percentage at 72%, eliminated the careless decisions, the running game without his best running back, without his best player, without his biggest offensive threat, being out for the uh, year because of an ACL injury. The Jets still ran the ball for um, over, uh, what, what, 100, uh, over 150 yards. They averaged five yards on 34 rushing attempts. Michael Carter and James Robinson combined a rush for 124 yards on 25 carries. They only had one turnover for the game, and they won the football game. And here's the question that I want to bring to you. Because I always thought, I always believed that you needed to have uh, Aaron Rodgers of two years ago or last year or a Tom Brady in his New England days and the last couple of years in Tampa Bay or someone like a Patrick Mahomes or someone like a Josh Bree, a Josh Allen, someone of that ilk. I thought you needed that uber talented superstar franchise quarterback to win an NFL championship. I thought you needed it. I thought if you had a football player like uh, Zach Wilson or a football a quarterback like a, a Daniel Jones or or something like that, that you couldn't be successful, that you, you couldn't get there. That I thought that because of the ways that the rules have been tilted and swayed toward the offense and especially protecting the quarterback, I thought this was a situation where the running back was obsolete. I thought the running back who dominated the game in the 1950s and 60s and 70s and 80s. I thought that type of NFL football player at the running back position was now obsolete, was now out of date, was now didn't have the impact that it could have. You, you, you can't have a Jim Brown. You can't have an O.J. Simpson, especially when he's up there slashing his uh, ex-wife and his uh, and, her, and, her, and her buddy. You can't have someone like an Eric Dickerson. You can't have someone like a Jim Taylor or a Paul Horning. You can't have someone like a LaDamian Tomlinson. You can't have someone like a Barry Sanders. You can't have someone like an Evan Smith at the running back position in today's football game and expect to win a championship if you do not have a franchise quarterback. Because, again, the way that the game has been tilted to really put emphasis on the passing game, that 
That wasn't going to be happening, right? Teams like the New York Giants, teams like the New York Jets, teams like the Philadelphia Eagles, teams like the Tennessee Titans, those type of squads who are winning, who are being successful this season at least, they're they're proving that to be wrong. Now, we're not going all the way back to the 60s and 70s and 80s in terms of the emphasis. But what this is showing me is that, hey, man, you know, if you're the San Francisco 49ers, if you're the New England Patriots, if you're the Jets, the Giants, the Titans, you you can win. You could be successful in the NFL. It's not a death nail to have Matt Jones as your quarterback and still learning. It's not a death nail in terms of the success of your season if you have a Zach Wilson at the quarterback. Now, you know, Malik Willis, mm, what's going on with that, Willis? You need Ryan Tannehill back if you're the Tennessee Titans. But yet and still, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, you take a look over the past couple of years with Jimmy Garoppolo. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Joe Burrow. He's not Aaron Rodgers of a couple of years ago. He's not Patrick Mahomes. And take a look at what the Philadelphia Eagles are doing right now. Jalen Hurts, fantastic, wonderful. I don't care of all the success that Philadelphia has had this season. I don't care about the remarkable improvement that Jalen Hurts has made to make himself the quarterback that he is today. He's not that super elite quarterback. He's not that guy in the upper tier of NFL quarterbacks. He's not at the level of Mahomes and Allen in that group. He's not. He's a good quarterback. He's a quarterback of a team that right now is the best team in the NFC and true Super Bowl contenders. That's easy to point out now after eight games and then being 8-0. But, I mean, take a look at that division outside. I mean, maybe if you're a Philadelphia Eagle fan, maybe this is an argument. But if you had an opportunity right now to have a peak, peak Jalen Hurts or peak Dak Prescott, which one are you going to have? Which one are you going to take? You know, so so I'm I'm interested to see if these things can continue in terms of having strong defense, having a running game, clock and clock management, and having a quarterback that's not going to make a mistake. Having a quarterback that's not going to put your team in peril. That that's my deal. That's my thought. That's my interest in watching some of these teams play because that's how the Giants are winning, right? You're a New York Jets fan. That's how you guys are winning, right? You're not asking Zach Wilson to win a football game for you, right? You're not asking, if you're a San Francisco 49er fan, you're not asking Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the ball all over the yard so he can win you a game, right? There's no way in hell that the New England Patriots are asking Mac Jones to try to do anything possibly resembling the responsibility that uh, Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes have, correct? So there we go. Jalen Hurts, again, good quarterback, pretty good quarterback. What would you put him somewhere between uh, week to week? Where are you going to put Hurts? What do you think? I'll probably go with 7 to 10-ish, somewhere around there between the top, between ranking 7 to 10, 7 to 11, depending upon what week it is. And I'm speaking about um, this season. So, yeah. I mean, there's the go. The ultimate test in all of this is can you ultimately win a championship with a Zach Wilson at the quarterback, a Jimmy Garoppolo 
as your quarterback, a Daniel Jones as your quarterback, a team that heavily relies on its defense in its running game and mistake-free football and a game manager at the quarterback position to win themselves a football, to win themselves a Super Bowl championship. If you take a look over the last, oh, I don't know, 12, 13 years, the last few teams to win a Super Bowl without a quote-unquote franchise quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback, MVP quarterback, top-tier quarterback, Philadelphia Eagles with Nick Foles, remember, against the uh, against the New England Patriots in Super Bowl um, in the Super Bowl of 2017. Peyton Manning riding the coattails of that defense, Vaughn Miller and those guys, in Denver in 2015, where they won that Super Bowl, beating Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers. Joe Flacco way back with Baltimore in 2012. So yeah, the landscape is not littered with average to young, inexperienced quarterbacks. Winning Super Bowls. Ben Roethlisberger back in the day um, won the Super Bowl with um, Pittsburgh early in his career when he allowed the defense and Jerome Bettis carry him to a uh, championship. But for the most part, it's all about uh, still having that franchise quarterback. But uh, riddle me this, riddle me that. And I'm not talking about Matt Riddle, bro, of uh, this question. So far, how many Super Bowls have Aaron Rodgers won? How many Super Bowls has Josh Allen won? How many Super Bowls has Joe Burrow won? How many Super Bowls has Patrick Mahomes won? Now, some of those guys have won one (laughs) when you speak about Mahomes. And these guys that I'm mentioning when you're speaking about a Justin Herbert or a Joe Burrow or a Deshaun Watson, when he come back, if he can get his mojo back and stop uh, sexually assaulting massage therapists, and um, Rodgers and such. Outside of Tom Brady, who's been to 10 Super Bowls and won seven, I mean, for the most part, um, Hall of Fame, unbelievable Super Bowl quarterbacks or, or, or top-tier Hall of Fame quarterbacks aren't winning Super Bowls time after time after time after time after time. If you take a look at an Aaron Rodgers, who's going to go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks who's ever played the game, one Super Bowl, right? And only, how many times has he been to the Super Bowl? Once or twice? I think it's once, hasn't it? Once or twice? I don't know. But the, the bottom line is, he's only won one in his, in his long career. How many Super Bowls did Drew Brees win? How many Super Bowls did Peyton Manning win? I mean, outside of being carried to the finish line in 2015, Eli Manning was more responsible for the Super Bowl wins in his career than Peyton Manning, who is one of the greatest um, football players and quarterbacks of all time. So the outlier being Tom Brady, who won seven, and you can mix that in a few of those championships with a strong running game and a strong defense and the uh, coaching acumen of Bill Belichick and such. But my, my, my point is that I'm interested to see this season if there's going to be a team, if there's going to be a quarterback, if there's going to be a franchise who is going to win that Super Bowl or be that next Super Bowl team that's going to do it without a franchise quarterback, do it without a Hall of Fame quarterback, do it without an MVP type quarterback. Um, player at quarterback. Because if you remember, Nick Foles came in late in the season replacing Carson Wentz, who at that time in 2017, way, 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 way back when, when Carson Wentz was supposed to be the guy, was a, Carson Wentz was supposed to be the number one pick 
for the quarterback who was going to be owning the league by this time, the 2022 season, right? When Carson Wentz in 2017 was the front runner for the MVP and then he blew out his knee in the game against the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Nick Foles came in and then carried that team to a Super Bowl way back when, but Nick Foles wasn't that quarterback for the, for the entire season. So I'm interested to see, is it possible? Come on, Jets fans, talk to me. Let me know. Is it possible that Zach Wilson can be your guy? When you think about some of the football that he's played this season, New York Giants fan, can you picture Daniel Jones holding up the VL? That's Vince Lombardi, folks, that, that trophy. Can you see that after the career that Daniel Jones has had? Can you see Geno Smith? Geno Smith? Geno Smith having that opportunity. It's crazy, man. It's crazy because, you know, when you, when you take a look at this stuff, when you take a look at what's going on, and when you take a look at the league right now, it's now time to unofficially, officially, old Yeller the season for the Green Bay Packers and the LA Rams in terms of making the playoffs. And I'm going to talk about it right now here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. It's time to officially put the Green Bay Packers and the Los Angeles Rams into the pasture. This season is over. This season is done in terms of making the playoffs. I, I, you know what? Aaron Rodgers can sit up there after the press, con- press conference after a loss, 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 and talk about, yeah, everyone's cutting us, cutting us out. No big deal. We'll see what we're made of. All this, that, and the other. It's like, you know, I mean, we, we don't believe that bullshit. Maybe if you say it enough, maybe you believe it. But I'm quite sure if you gave Aaron Rodgers some truth to him, you know that he's full of shit when he talks about, hey, everybody's killing us out. That's fine. We'll see what we're made of. We're still good. We're still all right. We're still fine. And it's really interesting, I think, when you take a look at two guys at the quarterback position who have been so well uh, regarded and are so legendary and are so revered and have been used to winning so much in... Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. To see these guys right now go through this shit, man, it's unbelievable. It's it's almost like with Tom Brady. You know, we always kind of wondered, what would it be like when Jordan, when Jordan was winning his championships and this, that, and the other, what would a Michael Jordan be? How would a Michael Jordan react? What would a Michael Jordan look like when he's no longer that guy and the Chicago Bulls or the team that he's playing for is no longer at that stature? How would he handle being mediocre? How would he deal with being below mediocre? You know, it was always like when, when, when Phil Jackson was winning championships or when Greg Popovich was winning championships and, and we kind of forgot, you know, the before in terms of how they had to build, go down that path, go, do, go, go down that journey, take that adventure, to become champions. And we just knew them because of the championships. And we just knew Phil because of Kobe and Shaq and MJ and Pippen. And we knew uh, Popovich because of uh, David and Tim and then Tim, Manu, and Tony. What would it be like if all of a sudden they stunk? What would it be like to see those guys to coach a team where they're at the bottom of the barrel? We're getting an opportunity to see that now with Greg Popovich, who despite the fact that the Spurs starting off uh, very well this season are going to be regarded, are regarded as one of the least talented and uh, 
the teams that are tanking to get Victor Wimbanyana. How is that going to look with Greg Popovich just coaching a team that's below average? And it's all, but we had to wait. How long do we have to wait with Tom Brady? 20-something years to finally see Tom Brady face some adversity and not get through it? All of a sudden now, despite the fact that what happened on Sunday, Tom Brady is not there to save the day. Tom Brady is not Superman. Tom Brady is not the NFL version of God at the quarterback position. <gasps> How is he going to take that? How is he going to take losing? How is he going to take the fact that here we are in week nine, and for the most part, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, in terms of being Super Bowl contenders, are not there. How's he going to deal with that? And the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. How's Aaron Rodgers going to be with being bad? How is Aaron Rodgers going to deal with all of a sudden now? I don't know if you want to say his skills are eroding. I don't know what it is, but I mentioned it before and I'll mention it again and again and again. When a player of advanced age in their sport when they decline, man, they hit that wall and they hit that wall hard and no one sees it coming. No one sees, you can see a regression in some of their skills, but the way they almost fall off a cliff, you never see it coming. And there's a situation where Aaron Rodgers is coming off an MVP season and to fall that low, the way that he's playing right now, and, and, and don't give me this nonsense about if the wide receiver's fault. Did you see that game against Detroit? Did you see those passes that he made? This wasn't, yeah, Aaron Rodgers just having a bad day type of, no, we've seen Aaron Rodgers have bad days. It's never been that bad. We've seen Aaron Rodgers have bad days where he makes bad passes. Never been that bad like it was on Sunday against Detroit. You take a look at this team, you take a look at the Packers, you take a look at what they've been doing during this five-game losing streak, hitting rock bottom against the uh, Lions 15-9, the nine points scored were the fewest amount of points in an Aaron Rodgers-led Packers team scoring against the Lions since 2014. Three touchdowns, two in the red zone. Packers losing five games in a row. They're now four and a half games behind Minnesota. They're tied with the Chicago Bears, only one game ahead of the Detroit Lions. They're done. They're finished. And I understand, long as you got a chance, long as they're not mathematically eliminated, all these type of things, you got to play, you got to play um, Aaron Rodgers, you got to play Aaron Rodgers. Hey, look, man, I'm not saying you bench the man right now. I'm not saying that. But um, you, you got some time during the season. You have to, if you're the Green Bay Packers, you have to take a look at Jordan Love, don't you? Ryan uh, Gutekist, I mean, you're the man that drafted him, right? And don't, Somehow, some way, don't you kind of have to save face and find out if you drafted the right guy? I mean, we're going to wait till Aaron Rodgers completely falls off the cliff or retires or does something else. You're not going to trade the guy. The guy's making damn near over $50 million a year. You're not going to be trading him. The, the, the cap space in the NFL is too high. You're not going to be doing anything with him. So either you're going to keep playing him, bench him, or hope that he's retiring. I hope that he retires because I, I don't see anything that resembles hope for the Green Bay Packers moving forward, not just for this season, but I'm talking about for the next couple of seasons. The defense has been trash. They can't stop anybody on the run. The uh, wide receivers have been underwhelming. There, there's not any 
prospect. There's not any first-round draft point, draft pick. There's nobody on that team in terms of at the skill positions outside of Aaron Jones where you say, man, this guy in a couple of years is really going to be something. Devontae Adams, the next Devontae Adams isn't walking through that door, folks. He's not walking on the Lambeau Field, folks. He's not living in Green Bay, Wisconsin, folks. He's not playing for the Green Bay Packers, folks. So what are you going to do? What's going to be happening? Again, you made some moves. You traded some draft picks. You made the maneuvers to go ahead and get Jordan Love. What are you going to do? You're just going to continue to play Aaron Rodgers at quarterback when your team is going to be 5-10 and 10, and you're still going to sit there talking about Aaron Rodgers is going to keep playing? No, I would say, what well, you know what? He has a sore hammy. He's done for the year, if that's the case. And do if I wait till week 13, 14, whatever, a situation where the Packers get to be three and eight or three and nine and this losing streak continues you bench Aaron Rodgers you put in Jordan Love and if Aaron Rodgers wants to throw a hissy fit fuck him they haven't been winning with him so who cares what are you gonna do what are you gonna do Aaron get uh you know retire see if that gig from Jeopardy is still open go for it because we ain't doing shit without you and you're reaching 40 and when you reach the age of 40, all my over 40-year-olds talk to him on this, right? You don't get, you don't feel better physically as you get older, right? You don't become stronger in terms of comparing yourself when you were in your physical prime, like in your 20s and your 30s. When you reach the 40s and keep going, physically, you don't get stronger. Physically, you don't get faster. Physically, you don't jump higher. Physically, your arm strength isn't more. That doesn't happen. Mentally, you might know the game a whole lot more, but physically, that shit don't happen. Now, all of a sudden, some of the hits that you're taking in your 20s and in your early 30s and your mid-30s, they might hurt a little bit, but you get up and you dust off, dust yourself off and keep a playing. Now, when you get hit like that in your 40s, all of a sudden now, that shit ain't like, like damn, that shit hurts. So, if I'm the Packers, man, you know, whatever. And then we get to the um, Los Angeles Rams. A team where, hey man, you knew this was going to be happening with the Rams. You had to know this was going to be happening with the Rams. They put all of their eggs in one basket, if I can use that cliche, to get themselves a team that was going to win a Super Bowl, that was going to compete for a Super Bowl, and they did. They got themselves Vaughn Miller. They traded for Matthew Stafford. They went out and got OBJ. They went out and traded for Jalen Ramsey a few years ago. They went out and did all those things, right? And it paid off. Won themselves a Super Bowl. Congratulations. But it's like when you get that credit card and you go ahead and you put everything on credit and you're rolling around in a nice Benz and you're living in a nice house even if it's the glass house, so don't throw no stones. If you're living a good life, if you're living a high life, or you're doing all those things because your life is being financed by credit, when the bill comes and you don't have any cash to pay for it, hey man, the dream is over. And that's a deal with the Los Angeles Rams, man. They don't have anything. How are they going to replenish their stock? They gave away all their draft picks. They don't have any equity to be trading to get themselves somebody else if, unless unless you're gonna throw in Cooper Cup and I know you ain't gonna do that so time is up Cinderella it's time to turn back into uh you know turn time for you to uh you know go back and start uh sweeping them floors 
You know, that chariot is going to be turning into a pumpkin, you know, and that super tight fitting dress is going to be turned back to uh, rags because it's about to hit midnight and the party is over. So for the Los Angeles Rams, hey man, you know, you were the, you were the beauty at the ball winning that Super Bowl on your home field uh, last uh, season, the last season Super Bowl. But the clock struck 12, baby. And now your chances of becoming Super Bowl champions again, defending that title, they are over. That chariot has turned into a pumpkin. You got the ring, though. You got the ring. You got the jewels. You got to hold up the uh, Lombardi. But still, man, it's time for this season for the Rams. So what do you do with Matthew Stafford? Because what do you do with Aaron Donald? What, what's going to be happening to Aaron Donald, uh, Donald, who said that the only reason why he came back was to uh, compete for a championship? They ain't competing for a championship this year. Do you see the Los Angeles Rams competing for a championship in years to come with all the deficiencies that they have at the offensive line? A broken down, beat up quarterback behind a poor offensive line? No running game to speak of and only Cooper Cup as your offensive weapon? Uh, well, what do we do here? Where are we going here? I mean, you're, you, you've signed uh, Donald to a big bucks contract, Jalen Ramsey to a big bucks contract, Cooper Cup to a big bucks contract, Matthew Stafford to a big bucks contract. What are you going to do? I mean, you, you don't got any draft pick, you don't got any cap room, and you don't got anything else to trade to make your team any better. And it's not just you're not just one player, two player, or three players away from gaining traction as one of the best teams that can compete for a championship. Not this year, not the year after, or the year after. So what do you do? What do you do with Matthew Stafford? Do you concentrate more on maybe getting yourself a quarterback for the future, the near future, the next season future? Or do you concentrate on rebuilding that offensive line? Or do you go ahead and try about getting a um, wide receiver to compliment Cooper Cup? Do you wait till the second round? I don't even know. I don't even think the Rams have a first or second round pick. So you can't even uh, work your way through the draft to replenish the talent that you've lost or that the talent that has been diminished. So, yeah, man, it's time for the Rams, who are right now 3-5, and five, sitting in 10th place in the NFC standings, two and a half games behind the Seahawks in the NFC West. Time for them to uh, do something in terms of just saying season's over. Lost to uh, Tampa Bay 16-13, allowed Tom Brady to drive down the field. Six plays, 54 yards and 35 seconds. Brady threw the winning touchdown pass with nine seconds to play. Big bear hug embrace with Byron Lefwich. A lot of that is... My divorce is finally out there, so now I can exhale. Now I don't have to feel guilty as much. I can go out and play football. Hello. But yeah, man, the season for the Rams lost. This season for the Packers lost. This season for the Buccaneers. Only, only hanging around, only there because of the division that they're in. And Patrick Mahomes, the performance that he had on Sunday totaling over 500 yards. The man is amazing. The man is incredible. The man is stupendous. But if they had Ryan Tannehill in that game, the Tennessee Titans would have won that football game. And it's like, man, you know what? We're not paying too much attention to the, um, we're not paying too much attention to the Los Angeles Chargers. But they're only one game behind Kansas City. It's going to be something else heading down the post in the NFC West. Forget the Las Vegas Raiders. They can't hold on to a lead. And Denver is still Denver with Nathaniel Hackett as the head coach. But, uh, yeah, man, we spoke about Josh Allen this and Josh Allen that. Patrick Mahomes once again showed us, told us that, nah, man, told us with his play. Nah, homeboy, 
I'm still the best quarterback in this game. I'm still the most dangerous weapon in this game. So uh, eat it, bite it, chew it, spit it out. But whatever you do, call me daddy, biatch. College football is going to be next. Let me ask you a question before I go ahead and take this boogie break. Was Saturday more exciting for you than Sunday if you watch football on both days, college on Saturday, the NFL on Sunday? Most of the time, the NFL is supersedes college when it comes to my enjoyment of watching. Week 7 in college was awesome. It was fantastic. That was the week, one week. But for the most weeks, for me, Sundays are always a more enjoyable watch uh, than Saturdays, even though I greatly enjoy college football. This, in my opinion, last uh, weekend was one of the very few occurrences where college football superseded the NFL in terms of excitement, in terms of interest, in terms of joy, in terms of exhilaration, in terms of happiness, in terms of all those things. I will be speaking about those things. I will be speaking about the the hell to the yes and all those type of things here on Wendell's World and Sports. Last segment of the podcast. Last segment of the program. Welcome back to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me go ahead and get the rundown. I'm doing this. I'm recording this on a Tuesday. The um, college football playoff committee has come up with their top four teams. Georgia, number one. Ohio State, number two. Michigan, number three. And TCU, number four. Um... Hell of a week in college football. Hell of a weekend. Best weekend of the season since, again, week seven, right? Even better than uh, that week, I think. When you speak about, when you, when you compare week seven, okay, you had number three Alabama losing to Tennessee, 52-49 in the upset of the season leading up to that point. You had number seven, right, USC losing to number 20, Utah, 43-42, two-point two point conversion um, for the Utes to win that football game. Number 13, TCU coming back from way down to beat then number eight, Oklahoma State, 43-40 in overtime. It was an awesome week. It was a fantastic week, week number seven. It was a memorable week, without question, without doubt. This weekend, though, after the first weekend since the college football playoff rankings came out, the number one team in the country losing, along with Alabama and Clemson. Anytime Alabama loses, man, you know it's like, oh, shit, what's going on with that? The number one team in the country, Tennessee, losing. Man, how about that? Georgia and Tennessee. Here, speaking about this here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. The game of the year wasn't even close to living up to the billing. Ended up being just an afterthought when you think about all the events that happened during that Saturday. For those who were doubting the greatness, the dominance of Georgia, 
Georgia had to remind everybody who was downing them, who was saying, ah, you know, this, that, and the other. Let me tell you motherfuckers who we are, Biatches. 27-13 over Tennessee. Georgia got out to a 21-3 lead early in the second quarter off a five-yard touchdown pass from Stetson Bennett. The senior quarterback, who I didn't even know, the man was twenty. The man is twenty-four years old. The man is basically a man, twenty-four years old. He's the man at Georgia, twenty-four years old. Now I'm quite sure at twenty-four years old, he's living off campus and such. But what what are you doing as far as a twenty-four-year-old student playing quarterback in in college? Now it's for Georgia, has a chance to win a championship and all those things, but. A 24-year-old guy playing college football. Interesting. And he's not playing for BYU. And he's not Mormon. Georgia got out again to a 21-3 lead early in the second quarter off a five-yard touchdown pass with Tessa Bennett, who passed for 257 yards and two touchdowns. Had plenty of time to throw. Hit deep shots down the field of 52, 49, and 37 yards. And the Georgia defense... The Georgia defense... I mean, okay. You can argue that it's not as historically great as it was... Last uh, season, when they won that championship for Kirby Kirby, but uh, hey, man, they held Tennessee without a touchdown until the final minutes of the game. Tennessee came into the game, leading the country and scoring. These mofos were averaging almost fifty points per game, and Georgia was like, "Yeah, I don't think so." The Volunteers were forced to punt three times in the first quarter. That's after punting a total of eighteen times. The previous eight games. Who's your daddy, Biatches? The regular season losses by college football's number ones. When you speak about Tennessee going down to Georgia. Then you had Alabama losing 26-14 to uh, Auburn in 2017. Georgia also in 2017 losing to Auburn 42-17. Wow, or uh, Auburn's was doing some things back there then, right? And then Dak Prescott's Mississippi State team, when they were ranked number one, when the college football playoff first came out, they lost... 25-20 at then number five, Alabama. So what is the meaning of Alabama? And let's not forget, number four, the number four ranked team in the country, Clemson, they went down to Notre Dame. Give it up for Marcus Freeman, baby. Best win of the season by far. And Notre Dame, I don't know what the hell's up with them. They lose to Marshall, they lose to Stanford, but they can beat Syracuse, North Carolina, and, and uh, Clemson. I'm not saying that Notre Dame belongs in the top 10 or some nonsense like that, but woo, think about the teams. Think about the ranked teams between 18 and 25. Would you have Notre Dame down there? Would you have Notre Dame somewhere in there? Clemson, 35 to 14, the beatdown that they had. Woo, what does it mean for Clemson losing? What does it mean for Alabama losing? Alabama basically has eliminated themselves from playoff contention. Not championship contention, playoff contention. They're not getting into the college football playoffs. And Clemson has put themselves into some serious jeopardy of missing it. There's gotta be, there would have to be calamity after calamity, my great mammy, for Clemson to get back into the picture of um, getting into a playoff spot. And that's even if they run the table and win the ACC championship game, conference championship game. I'm not putting Alabama, excuse me, I'm not putting uh, Clemson back in there. And could you realize, do you realize that this could be the first time in the college football playoffs that Clemson or Alabama has not been in there? Bama has made the bracket seven times, won three national titles. Clemson has made it six times, won it all twice. Coming into uh, this playoffs uh, season, no Alabama for sure. In all likelihood, no uh, Clemson. 
Man. Alabama lost the second game of the season against number 10 ranked LSU. That was the one thing I will say about um Alabama. Man, when when they lose, not only do they they lose, they make it spectacular in terms of, you know, they, they it would be different if it was like a Mike Gundy Oklahoma State team that always loses and you expect them to lose and it's really no surprise that they lose and the game really is not interesting because you know that they're going to lose and the game was never really in jeopardy because you know this is Mike Gundy, you know this is Oklahoma State and you know they're going to lose. When Alabama loses, man, I'm telling you, it is some exciting stuff. Jalen, Jaden Daniels, LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels, Hit freshman tight end Mason Taylor on a game-winning two-point conversion. Alabama scored first in overtime on a short Rodell Williams TD run. LSU then scored on this first play in overtime. 25-yard touchdown run by Daniels. And then after the timeout, Brian Kelly just said, screw it, let's go for it, let's do it. Daniels passed for 182 yards, two touchdowns, ran for 95 yards, and also ran for a score. Alabama favored by nearly two touchdowns, lost in Tiger Stadium for the first time since 2010 when Les Miles was over there eating grass off the field. Bryce Young passed for 328 yards. One touchdown was also intercepted. Came in completing 60, 66% of his passes, but he connected on 25 of 51 against LSU. The defense was all over him. It was very uncomfortable for him. Um, it was a rough day at the office again for Bryce Young. I thought that the uh, Alabama offensive line was inconsistent in uh, protecting him and uh, they got pressure on him and you know, you put any type of pressure on any type of quarterback at any type of level, they're not going to do what they need to do in terms of being truly effective as they could be. The Tide was also penalized for nine penalties for 92 yards. Again, one positive takeaway from college football when people start talking about, well, no one's going to watch the college football playoff now because Alabama isn't in there. I tell you what, man, in the totality of this season when Alabama loses, the one positive takeaway for college football is that they play in the most exciting, entertaining games in recent memory, right? When you speak about their two losses this year to Tennessee and the LSU, tell me that wasn't a great game. Tell me you weren't thinking about that game for days. Tell me that you weren't a fan of college football after watching those two football games between Alabama and Tennessee and Alabama and LSU. Bama football is the most polarizing team in college football and one of the few college football brands that interest non-football fans. I'm, I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about Texas. I'm not talking about Oklahoma. I'm not talking about Ohio State. I'm not talking about Michigan. I'm not talking about those brands to where their popularity is the strongest within that community. But as far as the entire reach of the country is concerned, they don't have that same reach. They don't have that same power. They don't have that same interest like Alabama does. And I'm not saying that no one cares about Texas. I'm not saying that no one cares about Ohio State or Michigan or the teams, the college football teams that I just mentioned. I'm just saying compared to Alabama, they are the New York Yankees of college football. They are the Los Angeles Lakers of college football. They are the Dallas Cowboys of college football, right? You could have a guy in Trenton, New Jersey. You could have a guy in Seattle, Washington. You could have a guy in Lawrence, Kansas. You could have a guy in Albuquerque, New Mexico. You could have a guy in uh, Overton, Nevada. You could have a guy in uh, Concord, Maine. You could have a guy 
where this where college football, you could have a guy in New York City, you could have a guy in Chicago, Illinois, you could have a guy in Los Angeles, California, right? You could have a guy, gal, whatever, who was who is not in a region or a state or an area where it's being dominated by the college football team. You could have a sports fan in a community or in a state or in a city which is basically pro sports dominated, correct? When you think about some of the big cities in this country, right? New York City ain't giving a damn about anything as far as college football is concerned. Chicago, Illinois ain't giving a damn about anything concerning college football. I can tell you right now, Washington, D.C., the DMV, they don't give a damn about what's happening at the University of Maryland when it comes to the teams that we already have, as far as the professional teams that we already have, right? But if there are, if there is going to be a team where those people are going to be taking a look and watching a college football game, it's going to be Alabama. So when you get a game like you had on Saturday, on a Saturday night in November, and you're speaking about that game between LSU and Alabama, and you have people watching that in those cities that I just mentioned that don't have a college football team, that don't have any ties to a college football team, that don't have, that they don't have the fandom of a college football team, and they watch that game, and they watch those plays, it's like, damn, how could you not be more intrigued or more interested in college football after watching the after watching Alabama play. I'm not saying that you're going to be like all of a sudden, you know, watching football all day long, college football all day long on Saturday. But hey, man, when a game like that can be broadcast and you've got a team that draws in the eyeballs like Alabama does, it can only be a great thing, an awesome thing, a wonderful thing for college football. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Just thinking about that, Alabama losing. Alabama wasn't even the number one ranked team in the country. The number one ranked team in the country, Tennessee, went down. Who's having a fantastic year. Alabama, the number six ranked team, not even in the top four. The number six ranked team in the country goes down. And the only thing anybody wants to talk about is not Georgia's dominance over Tennessee, not Ohio State's um ugly victory over Northwestern, a 1-8 Northwestern team because the wind was swirling at 155 miles per hour. Not Michigan, who had to come back to beat a team outside of New York City, Rutgers in New Jersey, 52-17, and possibly the running back being one of the contenders for the Heisman Trophy. Nobody's speaking about USC. No one's speaking about the Bo Nix resurgence at Oregon. No one is speaking about any of those things. No one is speaking about anything for the most part that happened on Saturday, this past Saturday, except for the loss of Alabama. Now, if Alabama would have lost 32-14 to 14 or something like that, would it have gotten so much attention? Would it have gotten so much play? Would it have been talked about as much? Maybe not. Probably not. And the discussion would have been turned to, my goodness, what's going on with Alabama? What's wrong with Alabama for them to lose that way? You know? But, um... Look, man, Alabama, number six, they lose, and everybody's still freaking out and wanting to talk about it. Alabama's brand is so strong, and their success so much, right? The, the, the biggest thing in college sports, bigger than Iowa wrestling, bigger than Kentucky basketball, bigger than Kansas basketball, bigger than Texas football, bigger than Oklahoma football, bigger than Ohio State football, Bigger than all them things. Bigger than Indiana basketball, right? Bigger than Florida State or Miami baseball, right? The biggest thing in college sports, football at the University of Alabama. 
Do you realize if Will Anderson and Bryce Young, and especially focusing on Bryce Young, if they do what they should be doing, which would be going to the NFL draft after this season is over, compared to the recent standards of Alabama football that Bryce Young, Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young, played in the National Football Championship game last season, Bryce Young, you could make the argument, I wouldn't, most rational people wouldn't, but when you're speaking about the high expectation for Alabama, what they expect, you could say, you could make the argument that the career of Bryce Young at Alabama was disappointing, underwhelming, didn't reach expectations. You can make that argument. I wouldn't make it, but I'm a rational. <laughs> I'm a rational college football fan. But I'm quite sure there's some folks out there in Decatur. I'm quite sure there's some folks out there in Montgomery. I'm quite sure there's some folks out there in Troy. I'm quite sure there's some folks all over Alabama who are sitting there talking about, yep, Bryce Young didn't get it done. We expect championships. And you're talking about a guy in that 2020 um, recruiting class that Alabama had and the best recruit out of that class, Bryce Young, is going to be leaving us without winning a championship? Yeah, he won a Heisman Trophy. So fucking what? He didn't win us a championship? Hell, in his second year, he couldn't even get us to a, to a, to a playoff uh, scenario. So what's up with that? That's how high the expectations are at the University of Alabama. Ugh. Something else, right? So what does this mean for LSU? Moving now here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast, yours truly, Wendell Wallace. What does it mean for LSU, this win? It means LSU is going to win the SEC West if they just go ahead and they uh, beat the remaining teams on their SEC schedule. They play Arkansas. They play Texas A&M, two unranked teams that have a combined record of 8-10. and 10. LSU holds a tiebreaker, of course, so Alabama would have to win out and LSU would have to lose both conference games, which is probably not going to happen. Could you imagine if LSU wins next week and Alabama wins against Old Miss? Then, for the most part, the Tigers are the SEC West champion. Not for the most part. LSU is, will be the SEC West champions. Unbelievable. Hey, look, man, and <laughs> we clown Brian Kelly... We make fun of Brian Kelly from the outside looking in and going on in terms of who he's portrayed as through the media. It, it's easy not to like Brian Kelly. Some of the shots of him on the sidelines and stuff and some of the, the nonsense that he was doing with his players at Notre Dame early in his career before he kind of turned it around and stopped with the hooting and the shouting and the downgrading and the denigrating and all that kind of stuff. From the outside looking in of what the media gives, gives us about him, it's easy not to like him. But you know what? The media can portray him however they want to be. If they want to make him out to be the biggest asshole going, they can do that. If they want to write the narrative of Brian Kelly, the person for someone like me who has no access to Brian Kelly to get to know him only through the media, they want to try to tell me that Brian Kelly is an asshole and let me show you why, they can go ahead and do that. But there's one thing that they can't distort. There's one thing that they can't fabricate. There's one thing that they can't make up. There's one thing that they can't portray. That's his coaching ability and his coaching acumen in terms of coaching college football. Brian Kelly is a great football coach who's worth every damn penny he's receiving 
to coach LSU. He he can bullshit and talk that Cajun style even though he ain't Cajun all he wants to because guess what? Ladies just beat Alabama and LSU is in one game away from one of the SEC West. I don't even know if that, that's not even Cajun, right? Sorry. But the point is, is that man, he's worth every single penny. Brian Kelly, are you worth every single penny? And that's the reason why you came here? Hey, this is why you came here. The hell yes. The hell to the yes. The hell to the yes. That should be our new, that should be my new thing. Wendell, are you glad that you're going to be working when you're working now? The hell to the yes. <laughs> Wendell, you see that salary that you're getting from your new job? Are you happy that you're working there? The hell to the yes. Wendell, you don't have to wake up and drive 85 miles one way, wake up at 445 in the morning and leave at 530 to drive 85 miles. Are you happy that you don't have to do that bullshit no more? The hell to the yes. <laughs> Missed my kids, but not having to deal with that bullshit and deal with that drive and staying up there. The hell to the yes. Having to deal with the Clark County school trick and their buffoonery and their nonsense. Wendell, are you glad that you don't have to deal with that bullshit anymore? The hell to the yes. <laughs> LSU is now the front runner and the SEC West. The hell to the yes. If LSU were to run the table... And beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. It will be one of the greatest season, in-season turnarounds in recent history. Prove me wrong. Tell me no. Tell me why I am wrong. Man, did you see them play against Florida State at the beginning of the season? You're going to try to tell me that you thought after watching that game that LSU would be where they are right now this season? You're going to try to tell me after they got recently blown out by Tennessee that they were going to go ahead and beat Alabama? You're going to try to tell me that? No, no, no. Don't tell me that because you're lying. Unless you got some receipts, don't tell me that. Mm-mm. No way. Uh-uh. Not happening. So there you go. So, uh, yeah, man, that's, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. Let me get the Clemson real quick, quickly before I get out of here. Um, ooh, 35 to 14, as I mentioned before, we to go to Marcus Freeman. But, man, Notre Dame exposed uh, Clemson based on the narrative that they were one of the best four teams in the country. I mean, you know, this is the first loss by Clemson, so they're 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 not hot garbage. But, you know, being one of the top four teams in the country, being ranked number four when the first college football playoff rankings came out, hot garbage, exposed. And uh, for Clemson, man, this could be the second straight season that they're missing the playoffs. So now the question comes to all of y'all down in Clemson, South Carolina. Um, what are we going to do with uh, DJ Uwe Ungale? Do you want to start him? Do you continue continue to start him? I mean, this is the second game in a row now that uh, five-star freshman Cade Klubnik had to replace him. Then Klubnik threw an interception. They were like, well, we want to see that shit. We'll just put in DJ Uwe Ungale and DJ threw a pick, which would return, I don't know, like a million yards for a touchdown, which... Basically put the game out of reach, but it's it's a situation where man that the offense has just been so inconsistent. And if you would have seen DJ play a few years ago against Notre Dame when he was uh, substituting in for Trevor Lawrence who had COVID at that time, then you would have said that would have been the best of Uwe Ungale in terms of him being the quarterback for Clemson. It would have been shocking, but he's 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 I don't know how can you win. Uh, I don't know how you win with this guy because they don't have the receivers to bail him out. 
They don't have the running game for the most part to bail, get the, to, to bail him out unless you want to give the ball to Will Shipley 35 times a game. And their defense is no longer to the point to where a few years ago, their defense, speaking about um, Clemson, they were at the level of where Georgia is right now or was last season in terms of the dominance, in terms of what they could do or do to wreck a football game. When you speak about all of those first-round picks, especially upon the defensive line that uh, Clemson had, their first-round draft picks who are now playing in the NFL, Clemson does not have that anymore. Clemson does not have that type of defense anymore. Now, you have a defense that's pretty good. It's really good in some cases, but just pretty good. But you have a quarterback who can't put points on the board on a consistent basis. You have an offense now that can't consistently perform at a high level. They got You guys got used to Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson. And you just thought that it was going to be continuing, right? It's not happening. So, got to be doing something. I don't know if you start uh, Klubnik, but you got to do something because that was that was really ugly. And when you take a look at their Clemson's combined passing stats from those games, and you're speaking about those guys going 42 for 65 or 348 yards with one touchdown and four interceptions, as I mentioned before, one including a 96-yard uh, pick six from uh, DJ. And you speak about a Clemson defense where they gave up 263 yards rushing against a very, 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 very mediocre Notre Dame offensive team. Got some questions to be uh, asked, you know, and some questions to be answered moving forward. So Debo Sweeney is making a boatload of money. I'm quite sure that he'll be able to do some things concerning that. All right, I'm out of here. I'm good. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. I'm bursting at the seams. I got to go watch my Georgetown Hoyas play and see what's going on with them. I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast again. Download, subscribe, rate, review. Most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that we can listen to. I am doing this on election night, so I don't know what's going to be happening in terms of who's going to be keeping the Senate, who's going to be keeping the House. Good God Almighty, if this fucking asshole Adam Laxalt wins out here in Nevada. <sighs> I want to thank everybody outside of of, of uh, Las Vegas for fucking yourselves and being stupid motherfuckers for doing it, for voting for this clown along with Joe Lombardo. If you want to vote for those two fucking clowns, then anything that comes your way, I hope that is hard and I hope that it hurts. Well, except if it's going to be shoved up my ass, but it's going to be attempted to. So, um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. I don't know, man. It could be an awesome night, depending upon what happens with... Um, these elections in Georgetown or it could be just a catastrophically uh, horrible night we're going to find out I want to thank everybody for listening to my podcast please see what we can do to find somebody of a different race of a different gender different skin tone all those type of things and see what we can do to uh, make this world a better place by listening by learning by respecting others different point of views as long as they're not hurtful as long as they're not hateful as long as they're not bigoted as long as they're not misogynistic as long as they're not ignorant please give them the time to explain themselves please let them educate you on who they are where they come from so you can learn so you can grow so you can become a better person so you in a positive way can contribute to society if we can do that one fucking person at a time Good Lord have mercy, what a fantastic utopian society our children could have. Think about that. Get me out of here with some music. <laughs>